This Satellite Sisters podcast is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters for your free audiobook download. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Tuesday, July 8th. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, and I'm here with my sister Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. Julie, few more days until your birthday. <laughs> yes, Leanne. Thanks. And I know what the subtext to your your happy message is that I'll be even older than you. <laughs> Not at right? all. I think I think we're plotting and planning for your birthday. I actually had a discussion with our sister Sheila yesterday about what well first of all Sheila said, What day is Julie's birthday? So <laughs> Well so we, I'm touched. I'm touched that I was in your thoughts, really. <laughs> That's all that counts. It's the thought that counts. It is. Touched. It really even is. If the, even if the thoughts are fuzzy as to like when my birthday might be. Yes. We are. You are listening to the Satellite Sisters. If you're a new listener, welcome. We're so happy to have you. We have years and years of podcasts on iTunes and Stitchers and at SatelliteSisters.com that you can get caught up on. But here's the bottom line. We're five real sisters. We live all over the place and we've been doing this since 2001. Uh, we have have very different lives, um, but we have a lot of fun when we're on the air. So we're happy that you're joining us, and thank you for being here. If you are a longtime Satellite Sister listener and you've been sharing the sisters all summer, as we have suggested, thank you so much. We always appreciate your support, don't we, Joel? We certainly do, Leanne. We love it when you make comments at Facebook. Uh, so please join our Facebook group. It's not hard. Uh, Liz is in charge of it, right? Right. And as long as you can come up with at least one other friend, Facebook friend, <laughs> right. you're in, you're in. That's the only requirement. There's no application, no fee, uh, no essay, no interview. We just, you're all in. Okay. Uh, and we have a full show today. Let, let us be known. Uh, we're going to cover a couple of uh, parenting trends or parenting things you should know about uh, vamping and a potty training service, which sounds ridiculous. Julie's going to tell us what she's been reading this week. We have some great letters and posts from you on last Sunday's show, particularly about sharks and scandal. Uh, and then, but we're going to start actually with some summer driving tips, Julie. And I'm starting with this because we have a giveaway, a rare giveaway at SatelliteSisters.com. Okay. You mean we are actually giving something you know, of value to away to our listeners? That well, the good, the good people at State Farm are going oh. to give a roadside assistance emergency kit worth 50 dollars away wow. to one satellite sister listener and i know that a lot of people actually listen to us driving either uh driving back and forth to work doing those road trips or your professional driver we have a bunch of those we have a bunch of uh mail people uh, postal workers in in the satellite sisterhood so you probably know all these things but these are summer driving trip tips from state farm if you're getting in the car this summer it's hot. Make sure you have a few of these things. Okay. okay. And it, it okay. only makes you know, me. I can always use driving. Tips. Yeah. You know what? It's just a good reminder. Like, oh yeah, I should put that in my car. Oh darn it. Yeah. And it makes me laugh because I was talking to our sister Liz this weekend and she was doing a, just a short distance driving, like a two hour drive to someplace to look at some stuff for her new living room. And uh, immediately her air, <laughs> her air conditioning went out. 
It's like, it's just like the world's hottest drive without any air conditioning. So sounds lovely. Yeah. So the first tip from State Farm is beat the heat, man. Inspect your radiator, pressure caps, belts, and hoses to make sure they are in good shape with no signs of blisters, cracks, or cuts in the rubber. And then there's nothing worse than when that temperature light comes I know there are doesn't that give you this that may that really is such a sinking feeling (laughs) it is or or the fluid light so that's the other big tip hydrate your vehicle check fluid levels brakes transmission power steering windshield washer and coolant and make sure each reservoir is full and if you see any signs of fluid leakage take your vehicle in to be serviced I just had some fluid leakage, Julie. (laughs) Don't we all have a little fluid leakage? (laughs) Well, I had it in my car, but yeah. Okay. 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 So, okay. So those are good. So before you get in the car, you should do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Before any long trip, which is any time of year, give your vehicle a checkup. Tire pressure, wiper blades, battery life, brake pads and linings. Test the headlights, brake lights, turn signals, flashers, that kind of stuff. Do you do that before you get on the road, Julie? I know you do those drives. Yes, in fact, uh, because we do take some long road trips, and um, I always try to do that. And I have one coming up, Leanne, in August, so I really need to make an appointment to make sure that gets done. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that tip, Leanne. Okay. And then here's what you want to put in your roadside emergency kit. And I have some of these things, but not all. So jumper cables. Mm-hmm. flashlight check good good thing to have a flashlight yeah emergency- i mean a lot of us have that app on our phone now where you get the little flashlight on mm-hmm. your phone oh oh you got to get that land it's no good. i have that i know <laughs> i have it i'm just saying what if your phone runs out oh okay. then they then although here here's what else is in the kit cell phone and charger okay 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 the state farm says you could put you should put gloves blankets and towels in the car that's a good thing to have, I, which I don't have. Yeah, right. I I have a lot of um, grocery store bags. That's not on the list. <laughs> I have this dang. I'm sure you could fashion like an outfit or a small pup tent with your uh, with your bags. Do you think I Liam? can? I have a lot of wine carriers in the car. <laughs> I don't see that on the list. Okay. All right. But they also said you should put screwdrivers and wrenches, a first aid kit, water for both the car radiator and your family, high calorie, non-perishable food. So that's your little roadside emergency kit. And if you want, you can put in hazard triangle, road flares, brightly colored distress sign, or just help or call police flag. Those are good. So that's the roadside emergency kit. And then, uh, you know, traveling with kids. There's nothing on this list from State Farm that's surprising, uh, except this. Stop every few hours to let the kids stretch their legs. That's not surprising, but, you know, when we have done a lot of long drives with our kids, our kids are fantastic in the car. They have always been fantastic in the car. Mm -hmm. And part of it was my husband's patience because he was really good about letting them get out and stretch their legs and, you know, running around in a park for a few minutes. And I would be the impatient one, like, let's just get on the road. Let's just make this a quick uh, bathroom break and then get back in. But I think that was the key to our many, many successful road trips as a family. So um, if you're impatient like me, back off. Let the kids (laughs) run around and you should run around too. That's another one of the tips. Oh, that the drivers should run? Yeah, yeah. That you should exit the vehicle and stretch. And if you become drowsy, don't hesitate to pull over. 
But having done those long drives, it's hard to be the driver, you know? It's hard to be the driver, too. You need to sort of refocus and get your blood flowing, things like that. So not only the kids. So these tips are from State Farm. Here's how you're going to win. I have one emergency roadside kit to give away. Just go to SatelliteSisters.com. Post a comment on our Satellite Sisters, not on our Facebook page, actually on the website, uh, on the blog, and um, let us know what you always carry in the car for your roadside emergencies, <laughs> be that uh, personal or not. Maybe it's lipstick. Julie, I don't know. Maybe maybe oh. it's chocolate bars. Just what's in your personal roadside emergency kit? And then... Uh, on Friday, I'll pull a winner, and you will get uh, a roadside emergency kit from State Farm. So there you go. Well, but drive safely. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, what you have you been doing? Now, Lee, and last week, uh, as we ended the show, um, did we, oh, we didn't do a show last week. Well, whenever we ended the show, the last time we did the show, Leon, uh, you said that you were going to be hosting that you were going to be moderating a big panel, right? Yes. That you were heading off. It, it was almost summiteering, as I, as I understood it, you know, that you were going to some women's summit on philanthropy, was it, Leanne? Was this that is when... it. I was, okay. the, I was the moderator on a panel discussion at a women in business luncheon here in Pasadena. Okay. It was put on by the magazine that I write for, Pasadena Magazine, and it was sponsored by Wells Fargo. And the idea was to gather um, a lot of business women in a room together to listen to three philanthropists talk about their work. And, um, you know, when I was asked to moderate this, I, the word philanthropy, I think is kind of loaded. It seems like if your family didn't found standard oil or is not a Carnegie, like that's kind of a, a grand term, you know, when people describe themselves as a philanthropist, it's, it's heavy, it's heavy, it's big. It sounds like big money. Um, so I wasn't really sure how this was all going to work, like what the connection between women and business and philanthropy might be. But I was to interview three sort of dynamic CEOs and founders of some charities here in and around Southern California. The first was a woman who founded the Foundation for Living Beauty, which is a charity that works with cancer uh, patients as they are going through cancer treatment. And they sort of take care of the wellness side of your recovery. Uh, everything from yoga retreats to actually, you know, beauty makeovers. And the founder, um, yeah, the founder, Amy Satchu, came from the beauty business. In fact, she had a really interesting background Pasadena girl, she started a a wig company. Okay, okay. yeah, very important. I know for a lot of people going through cancer treatment, that's one of the things they they really want to do early on is get to get a good wig. And that's what she discovered. Like she was just in the beauty business. She had been a model. She had you know worked for some beauty companies, and so she just thought, uh, particularly ethnic hair. She started a wig business that featured you know real ethnic hair wigs, and then she started hearing from a lot of cancer patients how important the wigs were in their mm -hmm. recovery. So that's when she started the actual foundation, like almost simultaneous to the day she like filed for her 501c3, her mother was diagnosed with cancer. Oh. 
So it became a very personal mission for her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then the second woman I interviewed was Andrea Hertz Payne. And she had like a great background because it was just completely nonlinear. Uh, she had started off as an actress. Which you can relate to. <laughs> I totally like- relate to. That's why I loved it. Because <laughs> I was supposed to figure out sort of the, the intersection of business and philanthropy. And her organization is called Aid Still Required. And their focus is to go and sustain efforts in places where maybe the media spotlight is off of, but the need is still tremendously great. So she works in places like Darfur, Haiti, and New Orleans. Okay. So these are, and it started with the tsunami in Southeast Asia. That's when she first kind of jumped in. And I mean, these are, that is a hard thing to do is, you know, run an NGO like that working in foreign countries. So I said, what was your business background? And literally she paused and she's like, well, I was an English major at Bryn Mawr. And then like 45 minutes later, she stopped talking. But in, in that mean, she, <laughs> she had done everything. Was she, was she a ski bum like you? It's, uh, and I know you have that in your career. No, she was not. But she was, uh, she was a Washington intern. She worked okay. for a senator at one point right out of college. Then she moved to New York to become an actress, but she also needed full-time work. So she worked for several different law firms. So she learned a lot of legal stuff. Then she moved to Los Angeles where she became, this is my favorite, licensed massage therapist. Okay. 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 And then at one point she said, this is when I knew I loved her. She said, I was a marketing manager for a discount mattress company. And I was like, that's awesome. And she said, and then they fired their accountants. So then I was doing the accounting and the tax work. So all of this varied, vaguely legal tax, finance, massage therapy, it all kind of added up to her actually being able to start this charity. Her husband was in the music business. And so after the tsunami happened, they had friends that were there that were safe, but it sort of, you know, made them hyper aware of the situation over there. And so they thought, oh, we'll put together an album. And that lasted like three, it took them three years to put together this album, which became an all star album and did make money and was the seed money for the charity. But um, it was fascinating to hear her talk about her completely nonlinear career path. And now she feels like she's doing exactly the right thing. And then the last woman, um, Chantal Boudakidis, was a, um, she is the CEO of a long established charity here in Pasadena called Five Acres, which started out as an orphanage and adoption agency. And then it's 125 years old. Uh, And then, which is old for California people. And um, so long established here. And then they've expanded their work to work with kids at risk and uh, and families at risk. Um, So she was a licensed family therapist who then went on to become the CEO a couple years ago of this major charity. And in the short time that she's been the CEO, she actually was able to execute a lot of organizational and operational changes, like at a lightning fast speed, which doesn't always happen uh, in nonprofits. And I have to admit, I was, (laughs) I was like, how did you learn to do all that business stuff that like <laughs> that therapy school? And she told me her background. She uh, 
was born in China, communist China. Their family escaped to Taiwan, and then they emigrated to the United States when she was like eight years old. Um, they The family opened a Chinese restaurant, and, uh, you know, she said, that's where I spent every free moment from the age of eight on. By 13, she said, I had the best English in my family, so I was doing all the negotiating with vendors and the customer service, and I was doing all the accounting and everything because, because I spoke English. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these three women really had very different backgrounds and sort of completely like changed my impression of what philanthropy looks like. You know, none of them came from super privileged backgrounds. They all sort of worked hard. They either started charities or joined existing charities because they saw a need. And then they said, I mean, it's been hard. It's been hard to learn how to do all the things you need to do. And, you know, but they all felt this real passion that they were making a difference, like literally a life or death difference for people. And in the case of their three charities, it really was. Like when I asked Amy, who runs the Foundation for Living Beauty with the cancer patients, she said, I asked her and I felt sort of bad after. I was like, oh, that was maybe a bad question. I was trying to get at, you know, what was your toughest day on the job? And she said, well, when we lose a patient, that's always our toughest day. And I was like, oh, okay, now I feel bad. But she said, but it's a reminder of just how important our work is. And they all kind of said the same thing. And and Andrea, when I said, you know, we were trying to inspire, there were 250 women in the audience, trying to inspire them to get involved at a deeper level in their community. And she just, I mean, she said she, the work has transformed her. Like she would not have told you 15 years ago, this is what she was going to be doing with her life. And now she, she can't, she can't imagine not doing it. Not doing it. Yeah. And that was, I mean, very emotional. And then the woman running five acres just said, you know, I have, I feel like, you know, the business side of me has really been able to shine and I, but I'm making a difference in people's lives. And so the message I would give to the Satellite Sisterhood is one thing they all wanted to see was more women on the board of nonprofits. And I know that there are a lot of people who do a lot of volunteer work in our audience, a lot of people who run the guilds or run events, but it's the board that actually kind of makes the driving difference. And they said, you know, sometimes they really have hard time, always they have a hard time attracting women to step up to a board role. So they wanted- because of the amount, like the the like the dollar amount that they would have to give that is it a resource thing that the women don't have the resources the personal resources to make the financial donations because a lot of not-for-profits when they ask you to get on a board there is this assumption sometimes it's very overt you know they make you sign sign documents that you will donate so much money every year. Is that what they're finding? You or know, was- they said some some boards, they all they all implied that on their boards, it's not a money, it's not a pay-to-play situation. Okay. They said, you know, w- what you do need to have is connections and resources. So, but they said, you know, there are certain talents that we really need, we could use on our board that supersede financial donations. Okay. Like That's- if you're really like a marketing person or if you're really w- willing to donate legal services or if you're a CPA, like there's always a need for you on a board. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in their case, it wasn't necessarily an actual dollar amount. So, huh. um, but it was a fantastic, fascinating discussion. I had so much admiration. Like the last thing on my mind is starting a charity. I, <laughs> I am not. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. That must yeah. be, do they find it a very uh, competitive environment for foundations and charities now? Because 
there are so many good causes. Right. And, you, know, you know, that's, I mean, that one of, I think it was Amy that cited the number of, you know, nonprofits just in Southern California. And I don't remember the number, but it was thousands and thousands and thousands. So I, I said, why start your own charity? Wouldn't you just glom onto someone else's? And she said, I really felt like this was a little niche, a need that I could fill and do really well with. So, uh, and they didn't, you know, we didn't talk a lot. I'll be honest. We didn't talk a lot about like competing for dollars and things like that. I mean, they've certainly all come through good years and bad, but, um, it was mainly about just the passion that they put into the project and what they got out of it, the emotional <laughs> rewards that they got out of it. So, uh, it was fantastic. I have to say, I really enjoyed myself. It was exhausted. <laughs> Exhausting. <laughs> it is really hard work moderating a panel. I have to say, like the panelists, I've been been on lots of panels and I've moderated a few. The panelists can have lots of fun and be loose, but the moderator, you know me, I started to look at the clock. It was a noon. We were supposed to roll at one. It was like five after one. And I'm like, let's roll. Come on, let's go. Let's go. I didn't want people to leave. And Mm-hmm. And then I had to get in the car and do a book club that night. So it was like my last big push of, of stuff, but, um, it was fun. So that's my message to you is if you're thinking about like joining a board or getting more involved, do it because they need you. You have something, you know, you have something that some organization needs. That was clear. So. All right, Leanne. Well, yeah. that's good. I'm sure that, um, the, both the panelists and the moderator were, um, were an inspiration <laughs> to the audience, Leanne. So I got a lot of props. I did. I tried to bring a touch of funny to it because, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> I can't. You can't I'm, be that earnest. And I'm not. No, I'm not going to be yeah. smarter or better than anyone in the room. <laughs> so got to do what I got to do. Well, good, Leanne. It may, it may be a new career for you as just as moderator. Yeah. You can just go around and do that. So, hey, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, but this is, uh, I thought of you when I read this story. Um, it was first posted uh, at the New York Times, but also it was at our Facebook page about this is a, you know, a trend or um, a situation with teenagers now. They're calling it vamping teenagers. Uh, and the term vamping is um, some kind of a short for vampires, meaning these are teenagers that are staying up very late with social media. So they're busy all day. You know, they're going to school. Perhaps they're doing sports or have a job. They're doing their homework. They're having dinner with their families. Uh, then they're going to bed. But instead of going to bed at night, the teenagers are actually uh, engaged, playing games with uh, with their friends. They're texting, Instagramming. They're watching videos, and and generally just not sleeping. And this is a problem for teenagers, Leon, as you know, and as I know, because we both have. You have t- uh, you have teenagers. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, and uh, I have had teenagers, and that teenagers more than any, but I guess about the same as newborns need to sleep and that, you know, that more sleep is required during the teen years, not less. So the idea that these kids are not unplugging at night, but in fact are using the night to plug in and that there's some sort of coolness or cachet to be able to send a message to your friend at two in the morning um, is is I think kind of troubling. Well, I mean, what do you think, Liam? Well, you know, I was I was familiar with the syndrome, but I had never heard the word vamping, and it's a it's a good term. First of all, I was relieved to find it's not really about like sexting, so that's good. <laughs> there wasn't anything. It's not about that. 
which is good. Uh, so, and last night at 2 a.m., I got up to make sure that my 19-year-old was home because uh, he hadn't checked in with me. And he was sound asleep, but it was my 16-year-old that was wide awake with this computer open on his laptop. So he was vamping just last night. I was like, go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. I know. Up all night. He had been up to until- Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I checked out at 10 o'clock. I was like, okay turn turn everything off and hop in bed and do your summer reading but apparently that didn't that message didn't take hold so yeah it's a problem and i can see adults are addicted to this it's it's it was interesting in the um article in the new york times uh that it was because like they're bugged all day long they have exactly. so much to do all day like on their checklist of ap's and sat prep and you know do an internship and resume build that it's finally at night when they feel like they get to be themselves that that was just a little insight into their world so i would like to just propose letting them be themselves from like 8 to 10 at night <laughs> so thank you no, just, i agree with you i mean just, one of the, one of the people featured in this story in the new york times owen lanahan his mother is a longtime satellite sister listener and friend and and again it was that they're not it's not like they're up doing bad stuff no. i think that's the key it's like this you know uh, teenagers have a need to hang out with other teenagers and in the, this is the unstructured time in their day that, you know, that this is when they have to do that sort of hanging out that I guess we did. As I read this story, Leanne, it may, it did make me laugh. I know we shouldn't always talk about our family background, but I have to say that there were eight children in our family and we had one phone. And right. so there was, there was no <laughs> vamping going on. I don't think, I mean, maybe there was a little, I guess in earlier times you would, you know, read uh, with a flashlight or yeah. something like that. Listen, I used to listen to the radio in the middle of the night. Okay. Something, okay. you know, I sometimes would stay up late and just listen to the radio, you know, okay. or listen to music. But yeah, I mean, had we had more than one phone, uh, not, <laughs> not in the kitchen, you would have been talking on the phone with your friends. Like if you had the opportunity to connect with your friends at midnight, you probably would have. Yeah. It just means that the 6 a.m. wake up call is awful and that, you know, they don't get any sleep. So I don't mind the actual connection. It's the sleep that's the right. problem. Right. They really do need the sleep. Yeah. The article also mentioned that there is, you know, in some cases, there is some peer pressure here. Like if, you know, if I send you a tweet at two in the morning and you don't respond, then somehow, you know, that that's a problem, you know, that you're you know, that you have to always be engaged with your friends. And if they're up at this hour, you know, on the phone or sending messages, then you have to be up doing this as well, too. So, you know, I think that... I've warned my son about that. Because several times he said, well, so-and-so didn't start his paper till midnight. And I was like, you know, he's probably lying. So... So your solution is to have the hanging out, just, you know, move it earlier. They, they could just do it earlier. I'm not opposed to the hanging out. Just do it right. earlier. Or just right. take away one SAT prep class or whatever it is. Yeah. One, one AP but class. Some parents have, you know, they are, they are monitoring it. They're getting up, they're checking on it. It's like, oh my gosh, I guess another thing that teenage parents have to get up in the it middle night for. I mean, but you know, other parents are locking up the phones, locking up the laptops doing all of that you know as a way 
to again to get the kids to sleep. To sleep, yeah. It's I mean, really it is complicated by the fact that all their homework is online now. Yeah. So yeah. it's real, and I like to go. You know, I go to bed early. We have to stay up later to like make sure that his light is out. I did do that during the school year. It was killing me. You know, <laughs> trying yeah. to stay up till eleven so I could make sure that you know he had turned the light out. Now that's not to say I wasn't turning it back on twelve seconds later. So when I fell asleep, but I know they just need sleep. They just need sleep. All right. So, okay, less vamping, more sleeping teenagers. That's what we say here at Satellite Sisters. Well, Leon, you know, we're doing a show, and it's actually Tuesday. And guess what? I have some Tuesday trends. All right. That I know you're going to be. You're going to be really excited about some of these. Okay, the first trend. I have three for you. The first trend, Leon, this is out of New York City, of course, but this is a new service, um, and it's called New York City Potty Training. And you, uh, you can hire this company to come and teach, to potty train your child. So uh, they have a one-day potty training course, costs $925. <gasps> or a two-day potty, training, two-day potty training course, which is $1,750. But this is, and apparently the phone is ringing off the hooks at New York City Potty Training. And here's why, Leon. Because you know, if you've had a toddler, you know there is always a pressure, whether it's to go to summer camp or to go to the nursery school or to the child care center, that you have to be potty trained, right? Yes. Parents are busy. Parents are frustrated. And they, you know, they just need to get this done. Okay. They need to get the potty training done before the start of school or camp or enrollment in the child care center. So they are paying to have this woman. This is, uh, this was not her. This is a new career for her. She, um, the woman who runs New York city potty training. Um, she has a background, um, of working in special ed and that she was, um, she was excellent at teaching special ed kids how to be, how to, how to become potty trained. And so she saw this opportunity. And so she has now applied all these techniques and she has a background in uh, behavioral analysis. And so she comes to your house and, you know, and sort of diagnoses the situation and brings toys and stickers and, you know, things to, to encourage the child to use the potty rather than diapers. So I, I, I am, I'm like shocked. <laughs> Why isn't it just easier to do it yourself? If it's going to be two days, it's just two days of your life. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I, it's like, it's like having a dog trainer. Like eventually you have to take over the dog training. So you might as well just a couple of days with the dog off. trainer is good, but eventually you have to do it. How could right. you be? I mean, potty training, it's not that hard. You just have to commit to it. You have to commit to it. it you have to be patient. Yeah. Uh, you have to be involved with it. And I guess some of these parents are just, for whatever reason, they're frustrated. They don't have the time. They don't have the patience. Wow. That, that is just not really being able to live up to your parenting duties, I think. I'm kind of shocked by that, actually. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean uh, it's like hiring a wet nurse I, in this state. I just <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> I mean, you just, the secret to potty training, you just got to go for it. Like, okay, we're done. We're done with the diapers. Now here's the potty. Here's how we roll. Let's roll. (laughs) Don't wait too long. I did both my boys in like, get like a weekend. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, some children, some children resist it. Okay. My oldest son. Okay. I, I'm not sell, telling any tales, but at one point he did throw the potty at me. So yeah. I guess he was not ready at that moment for potty training. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but you, I mean, it's, it seems like it's a, it's a very important parental thing, but, uh, and you could yeah. buy, you know, there's loads of books, there's YouTube right. videos, uh, but this is, you bring in someone else to do it. And, and as I, everyone knows, like the first couple of days, they're sort of enthusiastic. It's like a weekend where they're like, I'm tired. I just, <laughs> just want to go to the bathroom here. You know, the first two days are the easy part. Yeah. They're psyched. Yeah. yeah. You get your stickers or whatever. So you're saying, Leanne, even if you spend the 1750 yeah. for the two day training and the child is successful, that there could be some, you know, that recidivism, yes. whatever that word right. is, the, the child can fall back on his old At ways. some point, it's... the parents have to be responsible for the potty training. Again, it's like what the dog trainer said to me. I just train the dog owner to train the dog. I don't really train the dog. And that's, I guess that's what they're paying for. Right. $900 to be told, you know, don't put diapers on. I don't Okay, Leanne, it's a bit, I mean, what's all, I've only read about this in New York City. So no, I know. And bring it to California. It seems like it's not a field I would really like to go into, you know what I mean? It just does, but, but, um, but I guess for some people, you know, you're working with kids, kids are cute. That, that could, that could be, that could be fine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> okay, Leon, that that's the first trend. Second trend. Now you're going to hear this everywhere. I, I I know this. As soon as I saw this, I was like, "This is going to be everywhere." But I just want you to know that you heard it here first. And here's what it is, Leon. It's a Fitbit for your hoo ha. Okay, can I talk oh, about this? God this sake. is something called a K goal. And it's a wearable device that allows women to track the number of Kegel repetitions and the pe- pressure applied. Okay. As you know, Leanne, and as I, I guess this is what they say, it's a Fitbit for your hoo Okay. So this is, as you know, the now I'm going to have to rank. I thought, are, Julie, now, now I'm going to have to rate this, I, this podcast as a, as a TV 14, but go ahead. <laughs> Because you've said the word hoo-ha. I have not said any. I said. All right. Well, Leanne, you know, I, I don't think I need to tell you that pelvic floor muscles are one of the most important and probably one of the least appreciated muscle groups. Okay. So, so what this is, um, and this has come out, it's like having your own personal gym of physical therapists all rolled up into one. Uh, so it, it's going to come in an array of colors. Now, I'm, oh, not, good. I'm not exactly sure. Um, you know, and there is some insertion that's going on with this Fitbit. Okay. What and the... that, um, uh, but it will not vibrate. Okay. That's very important uh, <laughs> that they, they, that this has a single use um, that it's just going to count the number of Kegel repetitions uh, and the amount of pressure applied as you're doing these. And its launch is later this year, okay, but they are already sold out of their first batch. Um, so it's going to cost $125 for this uh, Kegel Fitbit. It's a single use? 
Well, I'm saying it's a single use. Oh, single. Okay. It yeah, only does one thing. It only, it only does one does thing. One thing. Okay. okay. You know, I mean, you know, you might think that you could have it, be, you know, be a, like a multifaceted, I mean, faceted kind of thing. Yeah. Because of where it's going. Yeah. But it's really. <laughs> okay. Is, are you following me, Leah? I you, am now. I you am are now. following me. Okay. So that's what I meant. So no, <laughs> you can use it multiple times. Huh. You can. Okay. You can yeah, you can. Uh, it can go with you, or perhaps you want it in multiple colors. I I don't know. So, okay. But you heard it here. You are going to see this story everywhere, Lincoln. So, um, I I don't think I'm standing in line for that. No, okay? I I'm not. That's uh, that's out. I rather do, uh, pay for the potty training. Right. Uh, that's what I think. <laughs> okay. And then finally, Leon, this is not really a Tuesday trend as much as it is the Bitter Business Bureau, you know, which is one of our subspecialties where we like to just bemoan when some of those like internet billionaires make statements or, you know, make more money. So this week um, out in Colorado, it's, they're very busy with big ideas out in Colorado, Colorado, that the Google CEO said the future of the workforce is part-time work. He said, most people want to work less. I, I, I would think that that is true. And that, um, and that really we have to get away from this idea that everyone needs to work frantically. So I think these are all very strong ideas. But this is coming from the billionaire, the, right. like the super billionaire. That's what he says. We just don't work so hard. No, just don't be so frantic about money. Okay, that's easy for him to say. And then he has been talking to some of his friends about this idea, one of whom is Richard Branson, you know, so mm -hmm. another billionaire. So this is the problem. Like, it's only billionaires talking to billionaires and that they are setting the future path for, you know, all workplace decisions, you know, and that... <laughs> That really what they think is that hiring people, you know, part-time workers is the way to go. Now, there's nothing in his statement, and I read it twice, about, well, what about pay? If you only work part-time, how does that work in terms of your pay and benefits? Uh, I don't, the Google CEO has no response to that. But he does feel like this is probably the better model or the model that we're actually working towards, that we will be seeing more part-time work uh, where people will be working less frantically, um, but it, it, there's no there's no mention of more pay. So I, I think it's sort of an odd. I mean, you know, I mean, it's easy for him to say. Right. I guess isn't that the point, Liam? Right. Well, it's yeah. It seems a little bit like justification too. Just because things are trending that way doesn't mean that that's necessarily a good thing. Right. right. But if you'd like to work part-time, part feel free. But yeah, it's, yes. a, it's concerning. It's, concer it's concerning when you also think of all those kids coming out of college with, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 of student debt. I know. It's hard to see how you're going to be able to uh, clear that debt and then maybe actually get married and own your own house and send your own children to college if you're only working part-time. So. Right. So, so that's where that's where the frantic work gets involved. Yeah, that's, trying to that's stay where it's ahead. that's where it's helpful. It's helpful to work frantically to do all those things. <laughs> well, anyway, there you have it, Leanne. It's quite quite a bit this week um, on Tuesday Trends. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's quite a range of topics. I, I know. You've done well. Just, You've done I well. I cannot make this stuff up. It just comes to me and there you have it. But the other thing I wanted to mention is some of the things that I am reading this week that I wanted just to share with you because I thought you would be of interest and to others. Um, and 
you know, first off is I know we have come out with, I don't know how many th- recommendations for summer reading. I mean, I think everybody's summer reading list is now absolutely chock full. Okay. But I am reading a great book, Leanne, that is out of, coming out of my book club. This was our book club recommendation. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, this, I, I just, that, I, I really, the name of the book is called All the Light You Cannot See by Dorr, D-O-I-E-R-R. Yes. Have you heard about this book? Yes. It's on our Best Beach Bag books list. It is? Yes. It is? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm embarrassed that I, I haven't read it, but it was Monica's okay. pick. It was Monica's pick. So, okay. uh, did Sometimes you, I guess I don't pay attention when yeah. Monica's talking. I don't know. No, that's Sorry okay. About... It was a late edition. She sent in her original list of one and then she sent in some follow-ups. So, oh, okay. uh, well, maybe it's... I missed that follow-up list. I highly recommend this is a book. Like if you're in a book club, here, here's, here's what, here's my recommendation. If you're in a book club and you're looking for titles for this coming year, put this on your list. It's just a fantastic read, so well-written, so intriguing. The story stays with you. It's the story of two teenagers during World War II, a German uh, teenager and uh, a French uh, teenager, a boy and a girl. And it, the, it flips back and forth with their two lives. And as they sort of move, you know, you know, you don't know exactly how they're going to be connected, but you you have a great sense as you're reading the book. There's a great momentum about that these two lives are going to come together in some sort of very interesting way. And it is just really, really well done. Even if you are like me and when her, when you heard that, when you hear that this book is about World War II, you're like, oh, brother, not another one of those, you know? <laughs> that was really my attitude, mm-hmm. my attitude at book club. Mm-hmm. I was like the sourpuss, like I didn't really want to read this. And it is great. I, and everyone in my book club Wide range of women, uh, a wide range of opinions. Everybody is thumbs up on this book. So, All right. Monica I do want to mention, about- too, that it is available at Audible. So if you okay. are interested in becoming an Audible member, the audiobooks, and we have our special uh, Satellite Sisters uh, URL at Audible, audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters, audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters, all the Light We Cannot See is an audiobook, and uh, you could download it for free right now. Yeah, it did look good. See, I like okay. World War II books, Julie, so uh, that's that's good to know that you really enjoyed this book. So many, There so are a lot I'm of books on my list. But... Really, really. Okay. Okay. So but, so that's why I'm saying if you're in a book club, this would might be a great pick for this coming year uh, if you're too busy uh, watching Scandal or something this summer. Okay, second thing that I want you to read this week. Do you read The Economist magazine, Leon? No. Okay. Do you ever look at it? I, did, I just want you to go, you know, the thing about The Economist is it's, it's a great magazine, covers all kinds of world events. Uh, but what, one thing they do particularly well is sometimes their cover, uh, cover page, their cover, cover of their magazine they absolutely just nail what's going on in the world or, you know, the biggest event. And this week they are, you know, the cover story is the tragedy of Arabs and they have an editorial about one of the, you know, there's just so much going wrong in the Middle East and this, the editorial in the economist about what, you know, just sort of taking a look back at like, you know, a thousand years ago, 
the Arabs were like ruling the world. Ruled, it was yeah. like it was like Islam and innovation with you know were were twins that they were really the Middle East was really one of those places that was a beacon of learning and of tolerance and of trade. And now you just have you know the troubles are just so are multiple and widespread and and just um you know there are a lot of causes for it but you know just to think about the decline of the arab civilization in light of what's going on today so i just recommend that so uh, even if you don't buy it lee and uh, i know this is against the law but go ahead and read the editorial yes. next time you're in the grocery it's store a, well it's not available online julie i don't have to break the law i'm looking at it right now i'll put a link to it at satellitesisters.com uh, okay. it's just it just really str- <laughs> that's how uh, you know we in the digital age that's how we roll so you don't just go to grocery stores nope you know I'm, I'm really sorry about that I'm, yeah okay okay. okay okay i just uh well i know you go to grocery stores a lot. i do i just didn't want people like if they don't buy the economy i i just i just encourage them to read this editorial it was just a very it really caught my eye i think you'll like it and third recommendation which is not a rec- it's a recommendation not to read a book okay you know how i like to do that lee and i like to right. just judge <laughs> Books by their cover from time to time. But here it is. For the record, I'm against it. But go ahead. ahead. It's the book I do not want you to read. It just came out. It's called Jennifer, Gwyneth, and Me, The Pursuit of Happiness, One Celebrity at a Time. Have you heard about this book? Of course. Of course. This is exactly the type of stuff that gets booked on Good Morning America. So I I have to say I was incensed and I, I, I left the room. I don't know. I know she was trying to live like celebrities on a budget oh, yes what that's yes. a book that gets you on good morning america i know i know <laughs> where is elizabeth the first wife i know good morning america <laughs> exactly so this is the author of the book rachel birch i think is how i don't know how to pronounce her last name it's b-r-t-s-c-h-e how would you say that Birchy? i don't know she's a former editor at oh the oprah magazine and she um supposedly is charming and funny and but what she strives to do is to remake herself in the image of celebrities and she tries to emulate hollywood's you know role models as her role models and but she hasn't actually met any of these women so it's not as if she sat down with Jennifer Aniston or Gwyneth Paltrow or Sarah Jessica Parker but she just reads about them and just tries to live their lives it so, seemed like a thin concept for a book for me. I mean, it seemed like a magazine article, not really, or maybe a blog yes. post, but not, or a segment on Satellite Sisters, but a whole book. I didn't get it. Okay, so I'm not reading it, Leon. Okay. That's what I'm. That's what I'm telling you. Okay. okay. I just and see you. You usually don't agree with me, but I can see that, that you you do in this case. In this case, I do. All right, because do that's not just... read this book. Okay, that's all I can say. I mean, it's just. It's it's going to take you nowhere, you know. Go get the Fitbit for your hoo ha. That would that is going to that's going to take you places. All right. Well, I hope we'll be getting more letters about this show. Uh, all right, Julie. We had some really funny uh, letters, some funny and some serious letters. Okay, first of all, on this week's weekend show, um, Liz brought to us the breaking news story of the swimmer Manhattan Beach. 
beach that was attacked by a shark. It turns out the shark had been on a fisherman's line for a half an hour. He was agitated and the swimmer was doing his usual morning shoot uh, and uh, usual morning swim. And he sort of ran into the shark and the shark attacked. He was then saved by fellow surfers and paddleboarders and swimmers and uh, made it to land. And, you know, we... We did not defend the shark strongly enough. We heard from Kayla in Ojai. Kayla likes to write to us because she is clearly an animal rights advocate. We believe she's a vegetarian. She doesn't like fur and she loves animals, Julie. Okay. And she wanted to remind us that it is illegal to catch great white sharks. So even though we were applauding the right of the fishermen to fish from the pier, uh, he did not have the legal right to actually keep that great white shark on the line. It's illegal. To do oh, okay, that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I support that. Yes, uh, that's good. That's yeah. a good. That's, so it makes sense good. when you think about it that it's that they're a protected species, but um, it also seems stupid to fish for them. <laughs> now, I will see. I think I think fishing is a legitimate, you know, sport yes. pastime, and and I want to support the, uh, fishermen uh, and fishing. Okay, mm-hmm. so. But I, I, I think you have to do it within the bounds of like, no, no, you're not allowed to fish for endangered species or protected species. Okay. Right. So there That's you go. Right. Kayla, thank you for writing us. Sue also on the Facebook page posted a list to the endangered species international.org website and said that they are declining drastically in numbers so that they are actually on the endangered species list now. And she is not really a fan of killing the top of the line predator. So there you go, Sue. People feel very strongly about sharks and uh now we know thank you for educating us and uh there you have it we always welcome your letters um kayla wrote to me at leon at chaoschronicles.com i think liz knows how to check the mail at sisters at satellitesisters.com and you can find (laughs) us on our facebook page okay and then julie you really um you really put it all together this weekend because you have found scandal on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, the political drama, the sexy political drama written by Shonda Rhimes. You found it on Netflix and you've been loving it and you expressed your eight reasons to watch scandal. And Julie, there are a lot of scandal fans and I love what Barbara had to say about watching scandal. She said, I wasn't really up on the Supreme court decision because I'm so deep into the fictional, sexy Washington DC, which seems so, <laughs> much more interesting. So Barbara is just living scandal. She's not reading the front page at all. And that's her right. It's the summertime. Anne had this cautionary tale to anyone who hasn't watched scandal before. Do not watch it on a plane because if there are young people around, she said she tried to watch it on international flight to China China, and it's not fit for young audiences at all. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely correct. Yes. It's an adult. It's very adult. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yes, that's what she said. And she also said there seems to be a lot of torture that goes on in the show. So that pe- I failed to mention that, Leanne. There is, a, there is mm-hmm. yes, there is uh, some torture. Yes. Uh, so, but again, on Netflix, that's where you have the ability. If you're not ha- comfortable with the scene, you can just keep, keep things moving along there, you know, so... Uh, All right. So that's it. Julie, get letters from Scandal and Sharks this weekend. Uh, 
And I'm sure we'll get letters about the show. We love it. You can always find us, SatelliteSisters.com. Remember, go there. You might be able to win a roadside assistance kit from State Farm. Just tell us what you always have in your car uh, as roadside assistance. I will put links to the article Julie mentioned. Hey, uh, Julie was unfamiliar with our Satellite Sisters Beach Bag Books page. Maybe. Maybe you haven't clued in. We have a really? whole list. Take a look. Yes, yeah, so we have maybe... a whole list of books there uh, from all, from all the sisters that wanted to participate. Four out of five sisters participating in that. People's various tastes are accounted for. A lot of good suggestions on that list. And then we also have our Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival posting with various authors. Last week, I talked with Annabelle Gerwich. That show is still available, obviously. And this week, we're going to talk to advice goddess Amy Alcon. I'll post that show on Wednesday. So that's it. It's a big summer here, Joel. Whew. All right. World Cup. You ready? You ready? World Cup. I know, Leanne. So do you think Germany all the way or? Well, you know, we're a very pro-Germany family here. I know you are. So, you know, they're a very solid team. Very, very, if we, even if our last name wasn't German, uh, we would still probably be rooting for Germany. I think Germany has a shot to, they have the best goalkeeper in the world too. So that helps. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Neuer. Okay. Neuer. He's a beast. So, um, but you uh, definitely think Germany over Brazil today. I think, you know, given again, it's the home crowd. It's hard to root against the home team. They are missing two of their top players, one to injury and one to a red card. So he's unavailable or two yellows. So he's unavailable to play today. So, um, their big defender so that it's going to be tricky for them to overcome on the other hand there's a very emotional team and uh the brazilians uh, in a good way and so they're playing on emotion but germany is very solid as my son the soccer player says they play like men they are men on the field <laughs> so which is high praise okay and he okay. just means that there's no funny stuff with the germans there's mm-hmm. no there's no ticky tack fouls there's none of that they they you know they don't stand fall up on players. the ground no, and then... not a lot of that with the germans which no. okay. what you see is what you get so uh and they have that super attractive coach mm-hmm. oh the german yes. coach is good looking yes. so yeah. <laughs> quite an analysis <laughs> <laughs> really, Lynn, only at Satellite Sisters are you going to hear that kind of World Cup coverage. Okay. <laughs> Where's those fitted Jill Sanders shirts? Those are awesome. All right. Uh, all right. You have any plans for the week, Jill? Well, I, you know, again, it's the big birthday weekend. Oh, right. Okay. I'm throwing myself a birthday, a little birthday party, just family, a family event. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, because I like to organize things, I, I said, you know, <laughs> don't bother. I'll, I'll go get my own balloons. Okay. So I'm going to get, having a, I'm having a little pool party. For, oh, with, good. Balloons make yeah. the party. I discovered uh, really? that a couple of years ago. Yes. Balloons yeah. are, balloons are it. So, uh, so that's, that's what I got going. Yeah. So how about you, Leanne? Any, any other big plans this week? Um, you know, we have to really start to crack down on summer reading. There are a few more, uh, you know, life markers. The boys have to achieve some laundry, <laughs> laundry. If I have to clear one more dish, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, so working, working on some stuff. Maybe you could call that uh, New York City potty training. I know. Maybe she could just come out with her stickers and her toys and, and sort of re-motivate those teenagers that you have with you. Yeah, they use the potty. They don't always flush it. You know, that's the problem. Oh, all right. Okay, that's too much. Okay. <laughs> all right. We're all sat- right. Have a good week. We're the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your Satellite Sisters.